Welcome again to the uh, weekly edition of the ACC podcast. Uh, we're getting ready for the NCAA tournament, and certainly uh, Duke is headed there as the ACC champion. NC State will also be taking part this year for the first time since 2018. I'm joined on the te- uh, podcast by Steve Wiseman, who covers Duke. And uh, Steve, coming off that championship, I guess anything's possible in the tournament. What's your take on their chances? Yeah, I mean, they're they're playing better than anybody I can't say anybody in the country now because they're going to play Oral Roberts, who's won 17 in a row. But um, they're certainly one of the one of the better. Uh, they fit their groove for sure. Nine wins in a row, uh, 12 out of the last 14. Uh, so the way they're playing right now, you know, look at some of the losses they had earlier in the year, and if they're playing this this version of them, would probably not lose some of those games uh, the way they're playing. So yeah, they're 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 a team that can that can make a deep run, I think for sure. When you look at the uh, the way they were able to win the ACC start tournament, what what was it that stood out the most for you? It seems like a lot of these guys early in the year, obviously, there were, a lot of them were stars coming out of high school, maybe weren't quite sure of their roles. Does it seem like this team, everybody seems to know their role at this point in the season? That is really the biggest thing, absolutely. Uh, you know, Charlie Ch- Proctor, you know, came in as kind of a natural point guard, and he joined a backcourt with. With Jeremy Roach, right? He's the only returning starter from last year's uh, Final Four team, right? So um, they had to kind of find a way to coexist. And I think when when Roach got hurt, uh, hurt his toe in November and missed some games in December and January, that allowed Proctor some freedom to figure out, you know, what he could be. And uh, so when Roach came back, uh, he Tyrese has kind of become the point guard and Roach is more the off guard and Roach is doing a little more scoring so that's just one example of the way this team kind of developed as it went along that they found their roles uh, Lively is, is a defensive guy 7 foot 1 center Derek Lively uh, he's going to be a, a first round pick in the NBA draft this summer but he doesn't have much of an offensive game he never kind of did he had some injuries as well uh, missed some games early in the year with a with a calf muscle injury, and so now he's kind of you're starting to see him develop that part of his game too, where you know he's got a little baby hook now and making some post moves post moves that weren't there before, frankly. So again, uh, you know Philip has to become the main scorer, right? We didn't know that would be the case when the season started. He's the guy everybody looks for. He's the ACC tournament MVP. So yeah, that's another example of. The roles are kind of developing. Guys are falling into what they do, and they, they're comfortable in what they're doing. They know what Shire is going to ask of them on a on a game by game basis, whereas maybe in December or January they had no idea what that was going to be. Now you saw uh, Duke reach the Final Four last season, obviously in Coach K's final year. Uh, does this team have the makings of a team that could reach the Final Four? And what do you think about their seating for the tournament? Yeah, I think. Um, I'll take the second part of that first. I think five was probably a fair seeding given when you look at the entire body of their work, which is what their committee is supposed to do, right? So you can't just throw out the 20-point losses they had in NC State and Miami, and they lost to Purdue by 19 back in November in Portland. So th- there's obviously a gap there between them and some of the better teams in the country uh, uh, with when you compare those kind of games. Uh, I know some people thought maybe when they won the ACC, they would pop up maybe a four seed, get past uh, past Virginia from the top seed of any team in the ACC. And but again, you think take a look at everything. That's the way it goes. If you just look at the last two or three weeks, yeah, they should be like a, a top a, a two or three seed, probably right. But that's not the case. That's not how it works. So I think five is probably a fair spot for them. 
they got a pretty favorable draw, really. With, I mean, obviously, Oral Roberts, uh, you know, has a has a they're thirty and four. They're a normal twelve seed. They're pretty good. But if they get past them, you know, Tennessee's the four, and right now Duke's playing better than Tennessee. So that's that's a favorable bracketing work there by the committee of to, for when it comes to Duke. Um, and if they can make a run, yeah, I think they can. Um, I think they're capable of it. I'm also, I think they're capable of getting beat by Oral Roberts, so I'm not going to sit here and say that's not a possibility because ORU's playing pretty good basketball right now. But um, if Duke gets to the Sweet 16, then, uh, you know, they'd match up with Purdue again if if, if everything holds true. And uh, that's a game I'd, I'd like to see them. I know they, they like a mulligan, like do over on that one. Given the way they played out in Portland, they were a different team then. They think they're, they're a better defensive team on the interior now and handle Zach Eady. That would be the big the big hurdle to get past. If they can get past Purdue, and they can they can do just about anything in this tournament. So uh, that's that's the way it kind of you know looking ahead, this way it pl- plots out the way I see it. We're also joined on the podcast now by CL Brown, who covers UNC uh, athletics. And uh, CL yesterday, I know, was a long day for the Tar Heels, and I know they expected or, or certainly hoped that maybe the NCAA committee might give them an enlarged bid. It did not work out. Uh, they decided not to go to the NIT. I know the school released a statement explaining why. What's your take on them not playing in the NIT? Well, I mean, they essentially were told for, you know, since November, since they kind of stumbled out of the gate, that they've been a disappointment, that they've been underachieving. Um, I think for the players, it's just, it's been a long season. It's been a rough season. Um, it's been a tough one mentally, and I, I don't think anybody in that locker room after they lost to Virginia in the ACC tournament had the bandwidth to endure going to the NIT. Like, would would that somehow make it better? Like, no, <laughs> you know. So uh, they they made the right call in deciding to to end it. I know it hadn't necessarily played well nationally. At least I've seen some comments on social media. I know former coach uh, at Texas and and George Washington and other places, Tom Penders, called it arrogant and, you know, said it was a slap in the face not to play. The NIT's been around longer than the NCAA tournament. But those are clearly people who have not watched Carolina or have not, <laughs> you know, have not been in contact close with this team to to actually get the pulse of of the players. So they 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 made the right call, man. If this was a young team, I could see going to the NIT because you're kind of using it as a springboard for next season. But the, the this was a veteran, you know, the, the at least the starters, the main rotation uh, people were veteran guys. And so this would do nothing for them to go. We know that uh, tar- the Tar Heels started the season preseason number one. Uh, and certainly things uh, didn't work out there, and, and maybe the expectations were too great for this team. But two or three years down the road, when you look back on this team as somebody who was with them all season, what do you think will stand out the most about the way this season unfolded? That's a good question, Chip. I, I think they really were close. Like, it's it's not like even the beginning of last year, some of the games they lost, they were getting blown out. And there was a question of effort sometimes and and things like that. They really we didn't really didn't see that this year. Like every game that they lost, they competed in. You could look at the the game against Wake Forest in the first half. 
where they, you know, basically just laid an egg and they ended up getting down by 26. But the second half, they they scored 60, <laughs> you know, like they they competed, like they they got back in it. And I and I point out to people all the time, that was after the Duke, the first Duke game. So there there was a certain amount of of you know, uh, a Duke hangover, if you will. And Duke had the same kind of hangover after Carolina going down and losing at Miami, you know. So it, they were in similar positions. Carolina tried to write the ship. It was too late in that game. But they competed every game. But they were just, they didn't have the shooting that they had last year. Um, and they just couldn't make plays down the stretch in a lot of these games where, you thought having the veterans that they had, that would be something that would give them an advantage. They know how to win those close games, but far too often they kind of followed the same formula where they couldn't get Baycott for good shots late, where it'd be late in the shot clock and Caleb Love would have to jack up a shot. Um, there, there just wasn't a flow. They never really got in a good rhythm, you know, this season. So uh, I'd, I'd probably say that unless something in this next week or so, you know, comes out <laughs> that points to a much deeper problem within the team. But I, I never saw that during the season. So I, I just think it, it was one of those, you know, if a couple of plays break differently here and there, we'd be we'd be framing this season and this team in a, in a much different light. One more thing, too, just in looking at this season, uh, it's often been said that you find out a lot about a coach when things are going bad rather than when things are going good. Did you learn anything new about Hubert this year, or how do you feel like he handled the whole adversity of this season? Well, Hubert stayed true to himself, I would say. You know, he he stayed positive through it all. He tried as as much as he could to shield his guys from negative talk. Uh, One of the big things after they lost to Duke in the regular season finale coming in, you know, today's C tournament, the question was it asked in that, in that presser after the game, did he feel like they had to win, you know, four or four games in the ACC tournament and get the automatic qualifier because they weren't going to go otherwise. And he didn't subscribe to that belief, which it, it turns out he was probably true. He was probably right because if they beat Virginia in the quarterfinals, I think, that may have done it for them. They were the third, you know, part of the first four out as it stood. And the they were listed as that third team out. So possibly that could have done it. Um, making an appearance in a championship might have done it too. But um, yeah, I'd just say that, you know, Hubert stuck to his guns. Now, that's not to say he doesn't have a lot of room still to grow just after after his second year because he came into the year talking about developing bench depth, and that was something that was sorely lacking. You know, by the end of the year, it was kind of they were in the same position they started the season in, and you couldn't really rely on them getting a boost when they went to their bench. So that that'll be something he has to work on. And also, I think the the politics of coaching is something that he he's, he tried to stay out of, but he's got to jump into that fray too. I asked him after the ACC tournament lost, you know, if he was, if he could make a pitch to the tournament committee on why they should get in. And he hadn't really thought about it. like his, his, his whole spiel was that that wasn't on his mind. You know, he was getting them prepared to play a game and he wasn't thinking about that. Well, you, you kind of got to think about that bigger picture. And I was thinking if this was 
a different coach, an older coach, uh, somebody like Patino, they would have started hammering that messaging about Carolina played the toughest schedule. Like he, it would have been, they didn't play the number one toughest schedule in the nation, but they did play a tough schedule. And compared to some of the teams that ended up getting in, especially from the Mountain West, teams like Nevada and Utah State, they didn't play a comparable schedule as Carolina, especially in non-conference play. I mean, you had five teams from from power, you know, the power six and basketball conferences that they played in Iowa State, Alabama, uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and at it, Indiana. And so he should have been hammering that home. Like, we played this tough schedule. We played this tough schedule. Even in the ACC, they played the top six teams. That was 10 of their 20 games were against the top six teams in the ACC. And so, and by contrast, Clemson played, I think it was 13 games against the bottom eight teams, you know, and they win 14 games in the league. So um, I think Hubert needs to develop more of a, you know, think about the big picture a little bit more and realize he's got, he's got a big bullhorn being the, the head coach at the University of North Carolina. And he's got to wield that as, you know, as necessary. Let me pivot from that to uh, Steve Wiseman and, and just ask you, uh, like Hubert Davis, John Shire had to move over and take over the big chair this year, <laughs> a really big chair, just like Hubert did. Just uh, what did you learn about him, and how do you feel like he handled the enormity of the whole thing, Steve? Yeah, he, um, uh, again, I, I'm going to steal a line from CL. I've, I've said this about Shire a lot. He stayed true to himself for the most part uh, this year, and he's – you know, he's, he's, he's more, um, I think from the outside, looking in more likable than coach K, <laughs> uh, in many ways, I think people see him as, you know, kind of more, uh, I've said it, he stands on the sidelines more like professorial than combative. And, uh, there were times this year when his own fan base didn't like that. They thought, why hasn't John gotten a technical yet? You know, he's not getting on the refs enough. He's not, uh, working the refs like K did. Uh, well, that, that wasn't his style. And he, he, he went about it his way and he still has yet to, his next technical will be his first one. So that's a lot different than the previous coach, right? <laughs> Where he would, uh, he would press things a lot and, uh, and the way you go about it. So I, I do think that's a good thing. I think the players saw, saw that. And if you're not yourself, the players are going to see through it. Um, so if you're trying things that, that aren't, aren't what you normally do, they're not going to buy into that. And so one of the reasons why they were able to turn it around, uh, was, was that they, they did. They they stayed the course. He's used that line a lot with, internally with the group. They stayed the course. Uh, they followed his lead, and uh, and that's been a good thing. Now I will say that after the Virginia game and the debacle that happened up there with the officiating, uh, he did he did pivot a little bit more to uh, working the refs a little bit more, maybe. And uh, uh, you know when there's a, when there's a replay going on over there at the, at the monitor, he was close by, kind of peeking in and seeing what they were looking at, and making sure they. They heard his point of view on some things because I think there was some trust, some trust he had with the officials, and uh, some of it was lost there, right? With with all that happened, so uh, that was him learning that. I think he felt like he didn't have a platform before; he didn't have the the cred as a coach to to work the refs like Coach K did. And I think as the season went on, he started to see that. Well, maybe he does a little bit more. Maybe he can, maybe he can do that, but. Uh, so that's where he kind of developed and learned as the season went on. And I thought that was a good thing that uh, they did those things. 
Uh, quickly, before we wrap this thing up, uh, let me ask both of you, were you surprised with the number of teams the ACC had in the NCAA tournament? And uh, what changes do you think the conference could make to maybe make more teams, uh, you know, more attractive for for the NCAA tournament? Do they need to play fewer than 20 games? Uh, just your thoughts, CL first? Yeah, I think that's that's the starter. They need to go back to 18 games and, uh, and allow – a little bit more wiggle room with non-conference scheduling and and allow your teams to play more games because it, it really just amplifies how you know how important and how crucial those games become in November and December when you're only playing a handful of them and really I mean the league lost most of those marquee games back then I mean what Duke lost to Kansas and Purdue Carolina loses to Alabama and, and at Indiana. Um, I'm trying to think of maybe the biggest one, Virginia. Then Virginia beat Baylor, I think. In, in but they lost, they, lost to, they lost to Houston at home. Yeah, yeah, and they lose that one. So, yeah, so they're, they're really – the league didn't collect a lot of those wins, which would have totally changed the framework of – the narrative of how good the league was had they won a lot more of those games, despite having the bottom five, you know, <laughs> with Louisville having a, a worse season, you know, and then I don't know how long there and, and so many of the other teams, Notre Dame that we expected to be a little bit better having a, having a terrible year for Mike Bray. And so, you know, they, they're going to have to win those games. And so I think allowing teams two more chances to, to schedule non-conference games uh, would, would be beneficial. Steve? Yeah, so here's what they have to decide. I, I agree about cutting back to 18 conference games because when you're exposing yourself to more of those games against the bottom of the conference, that can only hurt you. That can only hurt the teams at the top. You can't. There's a no-win situation there. So um, you need to try to find more wiggle room for non-conference games. But the reason why they went to 20 was to increase inventory for the ACC network, right? And for the television partners to try to generate more revenue. And that's what we're all talking about, right? Is revenue. That's that's the biggest problem with the ACC and college sports and all that, right? That's a whole different podcast episode, but it does it does play into this play into this decision where uh, you know, do you go to fewer conference games hoping to get more NCAA tournament teams, hoping to get in the tournament and collect units so you get more payoff on that, right? Or do you have more inventory of ACC basketball that TV TV networks want to pay more up front and improve it that way. That's that's the that's the needle that uh, Jim Phillips has to thread, and I'm I'm glad he's made that decision, not me. But I agree that like you know they need to go back to 18 because uh, what they did the last couple of years is didn't working. Before I let you go, I know both of you uh, watch a lot of college basketball and have through the years. Uh, I think the CNCAA tournament is pretty unpredictable, but uh, CL, do you kind of have an inkling who you think might win this thing? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I always need a, a little bit longer for the brackets to kind of sink in before I really have a strong feeling, especially in a year like this where, you know, it, it just seemed like the, the team, even the teams at the top, we're, we're a little bit more volatile, volatile than usual. Um, I do like the way Alabama is playing. You know, they they went through a, a period of games to close the season after Brandon Miller, Miller's involvement. Um, and, and 
it's it's strange for me to say his involvement in a murder because I know he didn't pull the trigger, but just, you know, I, I and I don't even know how to describe it. But ever since that happened, I thought they were going to be done for the rest of the year because they're going to get hammered, you know, with questions and who knew what, when and how did they handle it. And they seem like they've emerged from that. And it's uh, just the basketball part, you know, they, they're fine with right now. So if I had to pick, I know I'm going chalk here, <laughs> which is, is probably dumb considering what I just said to start this. But yeah, I, I guess Alabama, if if you're, you know, pinning me down on something. I have always liked UCLA, though, this year. And I know Jalen Clark got injured and, and, you know, was one of their best defenders and won't be, won't be available. But I still love Tiger Campbell as a point guard and guards win in March, having a great guard play. And Jaime Jaquez can be that guy if they need him to, you know, in, in a go-to situation. So... Let me switch it. I'll say UCLA. What the heck? <laughs> well, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. Uh, Steve, do you have a favor? Do you have an inkling of a team to keep an eye on? That, or maybe a dark horse type team? Well, I'm going to be boring and go with Houston because I think I like the fact they're going to play in Houston for the Final Four. Uh, this is 40 years after they lost to NC State, right? So maybe there's some. Uh, you know, some karma going to come on their side this year. I don't know. But I, I like – they play a really good defense. Uh, they've shown they, – they've they they've got ways to score better than Virginia. I know they beat them head-to-head, but they, they have the defense of Virginia, and then they have, they have you know, they've got like Marcus Sasser that can that can help you get, get some points on the board too. So I like I like what Kelvin Sampson has done on here. I, I feel like if they're ever going to win it, this is the year to do it. Uh, and – I also actually like that they lost to Memphis on Sunday in their conference championship game. That was a shocker, but I think maybe it took some heat off. I'm like, okay, reset ourselves and let's go in the NCAA tournament rather than, you know, uh, uh, a team coming from a, a lesser conference than, you know, the power the top conferences, you know, like the big 12 or the big 10 that, uh, that carries his winning streak on has been slugging it out and, and uh, has to keep it up. I, I think they're going to reset. And they're going to be okay going to the tournament. So I'm going to go with Houston. I'm going to go as, with Houston as well. I think it's their year. They're they're well coached, obviously, and uh, it just seems like once, like you said, the karma seems to be adding up. Maybe 40 years later, but uh, let's wrap the podcast up there. This is Chip Alexander, the News and Observer. Thanks to Steve Wiseman who covers Duke and CL Brown with the uh, Tar Heels for joining me on the podcast. And uh, I guess we'll all do it again next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>